Hello and welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast, episode number five. This is another live episode where we're coming at you from Johnson Public House and we're doing the Story Slam tonight. We've got a bunch of five to ten minute true stories from audience members. Our theme tonight is family gatherings. It's the day after Thanksgiving and several people have had enough of their family. Uh, We've got some stories about black bears and uh, finger bangs and uh, just a whole ton of stuff that you'll want to hear about. Uh, Tune in and have a good time tonight. You know, it's good times. Here are the stories. I love you. The, um, uh, my family, was, Christmas was big. I mean, it, it was a real event. And so my first remembrance of Christmas was uh, uh, we lived in a little tiny house. It was, it was really, everybody thought it was a garage, but it indeed it was a house. It was three rooms. And, uh, you know, well, there's a bathroom would be the fourth room. And uh, so that's where we grew up as kids. And uh, when we would get, have, have uh, the excitement of Christmas Eve, my, uh, we'd say, you know, be curious about when it was going to happen. And, you know, is it happening? Is it happening? Well, you know, we've just got to sweep up the, the soot from Santa Claus from coming down the chimney. We didn't have a chimney, but, of course, as kids, we didn't realize this. And... Uh, so anyway, it kind of continued on from that. As we grew a little bit older, we'd always have to take naps because we always had our, our Christmas on Christmas Eve. So we'd take our naps, and, of course, we would never sleep except for my younger sister. She'd snore like crazy. For some reason, she was able to do so. But my dad would have the, the living room all cordoned off with sheets, so that we couldn't see anything. We didn't know the tree was there yet. The, the tree wasn't set up early. And we'd, when we would come down, we had to come down from our naps and have supper before we could do it. And then before we could, once we had eaten our supper, then we were required to play our musical instruments and sing songs. And um, I played the clarinet incredibly poorly. In fact, I was the third, I, I was in the last section clarinetist for my entire three years in high school. And whenever somebody would come in and, and, and knew, they'd have to challenge me. And I never won a single challenge, <laughs> including people that, that were, anyway, they were not, they were, they were very, very poor students, let's put it that way. But anyway, I couldn't play the clarinet. But I had to play it at Christmas. And so all us kids, two younger sisters and my mom and dad, we all would play an instrument and would sing songs. Which, And still these sheets are up, so we couldn't see the tree or any of this other nonsense. And all of a sudden, then the, the curtain would come down, and we'd have our Christmas, and they, my parents just splurged. We got, I mean, we were just loaded with things every single year. And it was, it was fun. It was nice. We never had any conflicts, no problems. Then the following day, we'd go next door to my grandmother's house because she lived next door. Then all the cousins would start would show up, and then we'd have this big Christmas with my grandpa and grandma, who all of us kids, cousins, everybody just loved them. They were, they were the greatest grandparents ever. But because I lived next door, I could go next door anytime I wanted to, and I could see this Christmas tree that they had put up, 
and the presents would be under the Christmas tree early. My grandmother, when she'd decorate the Christmas tree, she'd put on each piece one of tinsel, one at a time. And then when it came, Christmas was over, she would take each piece off one at a time and hang it over the little cardboard sleeve and tuck it away because next year it was one at a time again. So that was the kind of Christmases we had. Underneath the tree was a little German village all set up, and the tree had these gorgeous lights on them. And under the tree were these gifts. Well, when I was 12 years old, my grandfather took me out walleye fishing for the very first time, which was a real big deal. And so, and I caught a walleye. My grandfather tied the fishing pole to my wrist for this event, which I found out later on the reason he had done this after I told my father this story. He said, well, that's because when I was a young guy, I had thrown the fishing pole out when I cast it. And my grandfather went, went back in, got a magnet, on, put it on the end of his fishing pole, and dragged the, the water until he hooked onto this fishing pole. And then my father's penalty was he had to clean it, get all the grit out. But anyway, like father, like son, he tied it onto my wrist. So I figured, okay, I'd finally proven to Grandpa that I could do what I had to do. And so the gift from Grandpa and Grandma, when we went over there, we could shake our gifts. And there was one gift that was, you know, like this. I could shake it. I knew it was a tackle box, absolutely certain it was a tackle box. And the other gift was, you know, a little box about like this, perfect fishing reel. I had it made, you know, the fishing reel, the tackle box. I had a fishing pole already that he had made for me. And... uh so came Christmas time, and, and sure enough, all the cousins are around. We're opening gifts, and we're having a great time. Uh, the boys always got a big summer sausage from my grandmother. For, I don't know. It was a great. But anyway, we all got food gifts, but the boys got summer sausages. And uh, so we would we'd, we'd get that. That was always a special deal. So it came time to open the gifts, and the first thing I opened up was the tackle box, and the tackle box, well, I mean, it was great. It was green. It was nice big side, all cork lining in it, you know, to put the, the baits into and everything. And, of course, the next thing was going to be my fishing reel, which I opened up. And when I opened it up, it turned out to be a pencil sharpener. <laughs> well, with Grandpa and Grandma, because <laughs> they were like, my Grandpa was like a god to us boys. And I couldn't show any disappointment. There would be no, I mean, it would be so I had to make believe that this this pencil sharpener was something incredibly special in my life. <laughs> and it ended up that the pencil sharpener stayed with me till my uh, uh, sophomore year in college where I left it on a door that I had screwed it onto when I evacuated a, or left a apartment. <laughs> and that's one of my that's one of my fondest uh, Christmas story or family related stories. Thank you, Tom. Um, I was actually talking to my wife uh, a couple days ago about Christmas presents. And East Town Mall used to have a store called The Nature Store. Does anybody remember? The Nature Store, right? Like it was just past the old ice cream store that was in the food court, right? Yes, and it was so awesome. And you know what the greatest part of The Nature Store was? 
rain sticks. Does anybody remember rain sticks? Where you take this, it was this stick like this big, and you turn it over, and it would sound sound like rain. It was like, and like you'd get to, you'd go into the nature store and play with it for like three, 30 seconds or so, and it was the coolest thing in the world, and I always wanted one. One year I was probably ten or eleven, and I got one for Christmas from my grandma and grandpa. Immediately uncool because like it was so cool in the nature store because you got to play with it for thirty seconds, and then you had to put it back, and like you're like, but I want it, and then you get it, and then you realize. This is just a stick that makes sound, and like I, it takes up space and it's large and it's awkward and it, it's just weird. It's a, it's a terrible thing to own. I loved it at the time, sort of. If my grandparents are listening, thank you for the rain stick, but never again. Uh, okay, so our next storyteller is um, Mary Kate. Yeah. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I don't know how well I'll be graded on my girth because I didn't plan on this. <laughs> so I'm not super well prepared. But um, so my name is Mary Kate, which is short for Mary Catherine, which is Catholic, if you couldn't tell. Um, and so my cat, well, all sides are Catholic. So there's a lot of guilt coming at me from like every direction. Um, but so this story is about my mom's side, about my Pipe specifically, which is what French Canadian kids call their grandfather. Um, and so my mom's side of the family is from Southern Massachusetts, which if you've ever seen the fighter with, um, Christian Bale and, uh, Mark Wahlberg, that's not where it is, but it's not not like that. It's very similar, <laughs> and they sound like that. So it's very, very, it's a little salty down there. Um, and so that's where my mom's side of the family is from and where my Pipe is from. Um, so he's very French-Canadian, although he was raised in Southern Mass, and he doesn't pronounce his THs because he, he originated speaking French. Um, and he's really, really old. He just turned 100 this year. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's very old. Um, and as long as I've been alive, he's been a thousand, basically. He's been so old. And he's really, really shy. Um, so whenever he came to our house for holidays, my job was to entertain him as much as I wanted to help peel potatoes and stuff. So I never knew what to say to him, so I'd sit next to him on the couch while he watched football or something, and I'd just be silent. But sitting next, entertaining him, sitting next to him. And so I've never known what to say to him. And even as I got older and I was somewhat more able to talk to him about things, he just would respond horribly. So at my brother's wedding, I said, Pipe, have you read any good books? And he said, are you getting chubby? <laughs> and was very confused that I was offended. He, you know, he doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. So anyway, he turned 100 this year, and there was a big family party, and all of my cousins were there, and his, his you know, he's one of 12, so his remaining siblings were there. Um, and then that was great, but that's not what the story's about. So then after that, this semester, I'm in library school, and I've been doing an internship at the Veterans Museum with their oral history program. So I've been listening to all these amazing stories from veterans, and I called my mom, and I was like, you have to do an oral history with Pippe. He's so old. You have to do it. Because I was thinking I could go home for Christmas, and I could do it, but he might die. He, like, who knows? So I called her, and I was like, you need to do this right now. And so she went, and she did it that weekend, and she emailed it to me. And I learned the craziest things about my grandfather who does not speak unless to tell me that I'm chubby. I learned when he was a young man, he joined the, the brotherhood in Quebec to be a monk 
because he was one of 12. What else do you do, you know, in, in 1920 or something? And he quit because they had him working on a farm, and he loved it. He was slaughtering hogs and making blood sausage, and he loved it. And then they were like, no, we want you to teach now. So he ran away because he's so shy. And then he joined the army, and he stormed Normandy in the D-Day invasion. And he almost drowned because he was a mechanic, and he had all these tools. Almost drowned, but, like, no big deal. He was fine. He was very casual talking about this. And then got to march to Paris really early because he spoke French. And then he came back, and my mom asked him about how he met his wife who died when my mom was a teenager and he about this he talked a little bit more and she said well dad what made you like her what did you see in her and he was like well you know it was time to get married and she was like no but what what made you like her and he said well she had a a good pair of legs on her (laughs) so my grandfather had these amazing stories, which he had no, you know, he didn't think they were important. But now I have this, like, amazing little MP3 of all these crazy things in my grandfather's life that now, you know, who knows? Who knows how much longer he'll be around? But I have it on my computer, so I'm very excited about it. (laughs) Thank you, Mary-Kate. My dad's dad... Uh, before he died, like my whole life, he's dead now, uh, was also like older than Methuselah my whole life. For those of you who don't know, Methuselah is a character from the Bible and is the oldest living man, supposedly. Uh, so I relate. Like he, I, he died when I was like 15, and uh, my wife's uh, grandpa is like 93, right? 90? 90? 90, whatever. Same difference. Um, <laughs> and uh, we go over to his house every Sunday to watch the Packer game. And it really makes me wish that I could sit down as an adult now. Because as a, as a 15-year-old, old grandpa is old grandpa. It's like, I want to go to the young grandpa's house because he's more fun. But like as an adult, I really long to have been able to like sit down and talk to my grandpa about the war and like his parents and growing up in the Depression. And Anyway, not to get super heavy on you guys. Uh, our next storyteller is Lauren. Lauren E? Lauren E? So we're going to have this story, and then we're going to take a break and get some more food and drink, and hopefully people will sign up. Here's Lauren. Good evening. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, My name is Lauren, and this is a story about my brother named Peter and a particularly comfortable Thanksgiving experience. Um, my brother Peter and I get along really well. I'm the oldest of four, and it goes me, my sister, Peter, other brother. They don't need names because they're not as important in the story. Peter and I are five years apart, and we're really similar. We're like our dad. He has big eyes and a weird, loud laugh and is charmingly unaware of himself and his surroundings and general social rules. Um, And that's one reason why Peter and I get along so well is that he's very gentle and he's very honest and I don't think he's capable of lying and he's just, what you see is what you get. He's just like, he's just Peter. Um, So something that Peter does is he he really clings to catchphrases Um, and like me and like my father has kind of an addictive personality and so it's very obsessive in that way and um, examples of this would be that he hears something or thinks he invents a phrase and then just tests it out by like sprinkling it into conversation. And as soon as he gets a good reaction, which would be a laugh, 
he just, whatever he's doing at that moment, whatever facial expression he has, whatever, like, body language he has, that gets fucking glued to that phrase. It doesn't, he just loses the context, he doesn't care. That's how that phrase happens from now on. And he just freaking buries it until no one laughs anymore, and he doesn't laugh anymore, and he just moves on to the next one. Um, examples. Um, there was a period of time in his life when if Peter heard something funny, he would not laugh. He would say, tee-hee. And if near a doorway, would back out of it slowly and not come back. So if you made him laugh during that period of time, conversations just would end. And you'd be like, well, talk to the next family member because Peter's upstairs. Um, another example... He thought for a time, this is recent, uh, that he invented the word dingus, which is false, but he thought he did. And so he would interrupt you mid-sentence or mid-idea in a conversation and just do like a Parks and Rec John Ralphio, kind of this by your ear, and just go, you dingus, with like big eyes. So it was actually better to be the person behind the person he was talking to because you can see his face just go like that. <laughs> And the most recent one, I'm just giving you Peter context at this point. This isn't even the story. Um, I was visiting my family's house. Peter and I were the only ones home. He was in the kitchen and I was in the living room, which is the length of the house, but we could see each other. And it was quiet, normal afternoon. And he breaks the silence by yelling across the house, Lauren, how, how do you boil an egg? Just holding a pot, sad, in the kitchen. <laughs> And my reaction, which I thought was simple, was A, uh, you're 16. B, just, just pot full of water, put an egg in it, and fucking just fire, boil it, like boil an egg. But instead of just doing that or saying thank you or ignoring me, he just maintains eye contact and walks the length of the house the whole time with just a calm expression on his face. And when he gets to me, he holds me by my shoulders and he goes, but Lauren, I'm just a boy. <laughs> so, and I laughed, which was a mistake because then that became his catchphrase of like the next two months. So that's your groundwork. That's your Peter framework. <laughs> Two years ago, Thanksgiving, he was 15 years old. Um, my family gathered in northern Michigan, where many of us are from. Um, and I drove up there with my significant other of the time. And it was fine. It was this great, like, cool to see your family. We didn't see them often. And it was fine. Uh, my family is, I think, pretty typical in terms of extended families. Their normal traditions include, like, eating a lot of food, teasing each other, arguing about institutionalized oppressive systems. And a good thing that we do, uh, it is arguing. A good thing that we do is this thing called the blessing jar, where like throughout the celebration, people like periodically write things on slips of paper that's like a prayer, what you're thankful for, whatever. Goes in a jar, awesome. After a meal or something, everyone goes around and reads them, and you just are reminded of why you're glad to be alive. Um, anyway, we're gathered, it's Thanksgiving, it's fine. Peter has recently learned how to snap, which is great, because for a long time he couldn't, like, ride a bike. So I get really excited when he learns to do new things. Um, and he comes up to me, 
and my significant other, and he just starts, like, doing this, like, just snapping at us with these, like, pointer fingers, like, <laughs> real happy. And I wanted to affirm him, so I was like, yes, you have found yourself. Good for you, Peter. And instead of, like, again, instead of just saying thank you or just continuing to do what he was doing, he snaps again, and he leans in real close and tests what becomes the next catchphrase, which is... Finger bang. (laughs) So I have a decision to make in that moment, which is, okay, Peter is very honest and very kind, and, like, the debauchery of being a teenage boy has completely gone over his head. He likes his friends and cross-country running and video games. So I am 98% sure that he does not know what he is saying. And if I laugh, he'll keep saying it. But if I don't laugh, he'll be like, wait, what does it mean actually? And I don't want to be that person in his life. So, so I laugh. Mistake. Because then that becomes his thing. So then throughout the rest of Thanksgiving, (laughs) Peter, and it's me and, you know, my dude friend who are targeted, which I realize is eventually suspicious because Peter continues to come up to us and be like, finger bang, which... (laughs) To a relative might say, they taught Peter that phrase. Now, why would they know what that means? Which I didn't, and again, another conversation I didn't want to have with my extended family. So we try to say, like, hey, man, why don't you call it, like, finger guns? Like, that's totally cool. And he's like, no, this is my thing now. This is my thing that I do when I say this to you. And it kind of blows over. Like, we eat our giant meal, and it's great. And we start doing the blessing jar thing, which is also great. It's very pleasant. We get around the circle a couple times. Everyone's reminiscing or whatever. And we get to my aunt, who opens a slip of paper and looks at it and becomes very somber and is like, I can't read this. I'm sorry, I can't read this. And she closes it. Here was my thought. Yeah, right. You're making sounds like you know what's coming, which I also thought. I was like... Oh, this particular family member, like, lost both her parents in a short period of time, was going through a horrible year, like, her family was having a hard time, and I was so sure, I was like, oh, no, that slip of paper's got to say, like, I'm grateful for, like, life after death, or, like, light in darkness, or something that would have been really hard for her to say. So, blessing jar time, like, the tone kind of goes down a little bit. She passes the slip of paper to my uncle and her husband, Who opens it, like expecting something kind of heavy, and says, stop laughing, and says, this year, we are grateful for the finger bang. (laughs) And the entire family freaking just doesn't do anything. (laughs) Like... (laughs) It was not a collective gasp. It was like that, but without breathing first. So it was just this whole family went, uh, and just looked wherever you had been looking at that moment that he said that word, you just keep looking there. Because otherwise you have to acknowledge to your widower grandfather and your parents and all the cousins that are younger than you, like, I know what that is, and I don't need you to know that. Sorry, boyfriend, you also know what that is. And so, like, we just sit there until the silence is broken. By a loud laugh, a loud, low laugh. They're just like, <laughs> and we all slowly look to Peter, who's just like checking in with everybody. Like, 
And once we're all, once he has all of our attention, he's like, finger bang. I really don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> oh my lord! Like, yeah, finger bang. Like, I, I was really hoping you were gonna say that. Like, he went up to your grandma and was like, "Hey, grandma, finger bang." Uh, I was telling uh, my wife's cousin about a game I used to play with my neighbor. Speaking of finger bang, and uh, <laughs> uh, and we used to play guns, uh, but we would call it bang. Because it was basically like a combination of hide-and-seek and tag. And we would run, e- run around each other's yards. And when we saw it, we either had toy guns or we would use our fingers. And uh, if we, if whoever saw each other first, you'd yell, bang. And then that person was like, it, or whatever. You had to stop where you are for ten seconds. And, um, and, and like, you know, the other person could run and hide or whatever. So it was, it was sort of like tag. There was a lot of arguments about who said bang first, who banged who first, and uh, a lot of fist fights actually. But so I was telling this cousin this, and like I just kind of gave it away just now. But I was telling the, my wife's cousin this story uh, yesterday actually. And I said, "Yeah, so we would run each other, run around each other's house, uh, run around each other's yards, trying to bang each other first. And like it was this awkward moment, like because like I was just trying to like give it like this unique name, like that's the name of the game. It's called Bang, and we were trying to bang each other, and it was, it was sort of like finger bang. Our next storyteller is a guy who I have offended before uh, because I've mixed up what race he is. <laughs> what is it? Uh, uh, nationality. I always call you Danish. I always call him Danish. He's actually Dutch. And the reason I've offended him is because I've said, what's the difference? (laughs) Everybody give it up for Don. It's like saying Americans or Mexicans are the same thing, because you're both from America. (laughs) Hi, I'm Don. Uh, My story will have a distinctive lack of finger banging, so (laughs) it's not going to top that. Um, So this is a story about... I think the second time I went to the U.S., I was dating an American girl, and I went and met her family for Christmas seven years ago. And I met her mom and her dad and her stepmom, and we hung out in Portland. It was great. And I went back home, and I did whatever I did back home because that's where I lived. And then a year after, we went back, and we went to Portland, and her mom said that we should all go to San Francisco, which is great because it's San Francisco, and I had never been there. So we did a road trip to San Francisco. So it was me and my girlfriend and her mom, and we were just driving there and going to all the diners and having all the American food and going to greasy, greasy gas stations and then just eating more greasy things. It was, it was great. And, uh, halfway through, uh, it turned out that her mom's dad, he divorced her mom and then married this other lady so that would be her mom's stepmom I guess she had passed away all of a sudden because she had really yippy chihuahuas like a lot of them and, <laughs> and she was old and apparently they pooped all over the house she managed to step in it got MRSA and died <laughs> <laughs> so that happened <laughs> it's not funny it's not funny. It's really sad. 
<laughs> so we had to go to the funeral, which was in Fresno, California. We were always, almost there anyway, so we went to Fresno. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, sure, well, we'll, we'll go there. Um, Cause then I can say that I've been to Fresno because that's the place that people back home are dying to know about. <laughs> oh, inappropriate. So, uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, we drive out to Fresno, and this was in the winter, and I was there for my Christmas vacation, and Fresno is a desert, and it's really hot out there, which is great. So we drive there. There's not a lot to do in Fresno. Um, Apparently, my girlfriend's uncle had a restaurant there, which was actually really fancy. It was a seafood restaurant. I try not to eat seafood in places that are really far away from the sea. <laughs> but it was good. And then we had to go to the funeral. And like, I'm, I'm sure you've all been to funerals. They're not really fun. But usually there's a lot of people there. You can sort of like sneak in, in the back, awkwardly stand in the back because you don't really know this person, but you do want to show the relatives that you care. And then you can go home, and it's great. So we show up, and this lady was probably really nice or well-known. So there were hundreds of people there. And they were like, oh, you're here. Great, because you're part of the family, so you got to sit all the way up the front. <laughs> I didn't know this person. I didn't know anybody there. My girlfriend basically didn't know anybody there because it's like somebody else's stepmom from really far away. So we had to sit all the way up the front with all these people that actually did know this person, like finding him behind us, not having good seats. We sit in this sweltering hot church for like six hours <laughs> while people tell all these stories about this lady, um, yeah, who died very awkwardly. So how do you, you can't even. <laughs> <laughs> And then afterwards, we had to, like, you know, people say that they're sorry, but they, they, I, I don't know this person at all. It was so profoundly awkward. So this is, like, this is my second trip to the United States, and that was probably one of the highlights of it. I had to go to somebody's funeral that I didn't know and have to be part of the whole family thing for it. So no finger-banging. All right. <laughs> I always like when somebody tells a story and everybody laughs at it and they're and through laughter is like, hey, this is not funny. <laughs> it's always good. Uh, excuse me there, miss and you right there. Can you look back there and see who's after Don? I think it's James. Is it James? James, where are you at? James, I was hoping you'd have a story for us tonight, so I'm really glad. Here's James. Hi everyone. Um, so whenever I do something like this that's kind of scary, I, I like to set some goals for myself. And I've set two goals for this that are in opposition of one another. Um, my first goal is to make my wife regret pressuring me to do this. And, 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 and my second is that she'll let me sleep in bed with her tonight after I, after I do this. And so I, I don't think both of those things can happen. So we'll see what... We'll see how we do here. Um, um, <laughs> um, okay, so my dad, um, he is, he's not an especially emotional man. Um, I know that he loves me. Um, deep down, I know that he loves me. Um, but, uh, but, but he's just got, he's got kind of, an, kind of like an esoteric way of showing it. Um, or like it's, it's, it's very low-key. Like, like I passed, um, I'm in actuary school right now, and I passed an actuarial exam a couple of weeks ago. And I called him, and I was excited um, had adrenaline going, um, 
I said, Dad, I passed my test. And he said, well, good. Want to talk to your mother? <laughs> like, thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> uh, um, he's, he's also a man who, um, who, who cares enough about me that, that when I took an intro to Islam class, in undergrad, he, uh, he asked all three of my siblings to let him and my mother know if I started to show any, uh, any signs of converting to Islam, because <laughs> this was scary for him. Um, so, like, so, so, uh, so, yeah, and then I, I, I guess um, one other kind of reference point. Um, he's very quiet in the car, so um, our church... Would, uh, our, our church when I was little was 20 minutes away um, and me and my dad and my mom would get in the car and drive there and, um, and it would just be silent for 20 minutes cause, um, because my dad doesn't like to talk in the car so we didn't talk in the car um, and then if we got there early he would, he, he would park and the church would be locked so he would lean his seat back and take a nap until, um, until, until church would start um, so, so like, so my dad's just kind of a character, um, and whenever he does something that kind of upsets me, um, I think of the one thing in my life um, that he did that really showed um, it really showed me that that he loved me. Um, and this was at Boy Scout camp. Um, I was a Boy Scout for eight years, and I hated it. Um, I was embarrassed about it. I'm an Eagle Scout, um, and it's not on my resume. Um, <laughs> I'm terribly embarrassed about it. Um, and we went to Camp Napawan, which was the summer camp um, that we went to once a week, or once a week, um, for one week each summer, not, not, not once a week. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so this was maybe like um, when I was like 15 or 16, which just makes this more embarrassing. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and I had my own tent, um, this little green triangle, um, two-man tent. I had it all to myself. I woke up in the middle of the night, um, and I had, I, I had to poop so bad. <laughs> um, I just had to go to the bathroom very badly. Um, and I, um, I, I couldn't figure out where the door to the tent was. Um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm crouching down. I'm trying to get the, um, get the corner to open. I'm trying to open the wrong corner, the corner, but it doesn't have a zipper. It's like, God damn it. Um, so then all of a sudden, like, like, this horrible thing happens, and poop just comes out of me into my pants. Um, and it's the middle of the night, and I'm like, I'm, I'm 16, um, so, so this is humiliating. Um, and, <laughs> and I remember saying very loudly, oh, shit, and then laughing, <laughs> and then being very sad. Um, so this is in the middle of the night, um, and, <laughs> and I didn't know what to do, so... My dad was there. He was one of the leaders. Um, I opened up my tent, went over, and I knocked on his tent. And uh, <laughs> I got him up, and he's like, what? what's wrong? It's like, I have a problem in my tent, Dad. Um, so, like, um, <laughs> so he's, like, he's all groggy. Um, he walked over to the tent. Um, he walked over to the showers with me in the middle of the night while I took, went and took a shower. Um, I'm a pretty cool dude, and I'm clean, so, um, so I took a shower, um, and then he, uh, he very discreetly, um, like, like, wrapped up my sleeping bag in a garbage bag and put it in the car, um, and then he went to the cleaner the next day, he got it cleaned, he drove it back, he waited until everyone else was at, like, merit badge or whatever, 
Um, and he put it, and he went and he unrolled it in my tent, and it was all like it was all clean and nice. Um, so anytime that my dad aggravates me, or um, I want to leave because he's there, um, I just think to myself, <laughs> "This is a man who loves me because he discreetly cleaned my poop out of my sleeping bag that one time." So that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, James. How old were you, James? 16 years old. I was not quite 16 when this next story happened, but I was near there. I was about four. Uh, uh, my dad played softball in Sun Prairie uh, at this park, and there were softball fields, and then up this giant hill there was like this uh, playground. So I'm like four years old. I was uh, Normally the whole family went, but I think they were out of town, so I was there by myself with my dad, and I didn't want to watch him play softball because, you know, I was four. And so I'm playing on the playground. I'm swinging the monkey bars, and I am just farting up a storm. And, like, I remember as a four-year-old just thinking, wow, the, like, I just have endless gas, and it's awesome. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I, re I just distinctly remember swinging on the monkey bars, and every time I reached a new one, I would fart. <laughs> and so then, so then my dad's uh, uh, softball game ends, and he comes up to get me, and he's like, "So how was the playground?" And I was like, "It was really good." And he's like, hey, "What is that smell?" And I go, "I don't know. I don't know. I have farted a couple times, and by a couple, I mean like thirty-five times." And uh, he like, you know, he does that dad thing where he, he doesn't like lean down and put his face in my butt, but he sort of leans down and again goes, "It's like, oh my, oh my." Gosh, what the hell is that? So he drags me into, you know how nasty park bathrooms are? He drags me into this nasty park bathroom, and I have just destroyed my pants. <laughs> and uh, he, we go into a stall, and he, he takes them off, and there's no salvageableness. It's, it's not, there's nothing you can do. He throws them away. Underwear and pants. And I'm four, so I don't care. I'm like, make it time! <laughs> and uh, we went to the car. I, he cleaned me as best he could. I'm sure I wrecked the car. <laughs> it was horrible. So I feel your pain. Uh, so on that note, we are going to have Tom tell another story. Uh, judges, do not worry about judging this story because Tom has already told one story tonight. This is my favorite story that has ever been told at Story Slam. Uh, and this is the tale of shitting on Rusty. Uh, when I grew up, we would spend a lot of time at my uh, grandmother's house in a little town in uh, uh, Wisconsin here. And uh, my cousin and I were the same age, so we would do a lot of things with each other. And uh, uh, so one day, uh, we decided that it would be a, uh, uh, a good idea to uh, uh, shit on Rusty's head. <laughs> and um, the, of course, I mean, when we were kids, we never used any swear words. In fact, I didn't use a swear word in front of my parents until, well, I mean, they, I never did. They, they died what, maybe four years ago, and I never used a swear word in front of them. Um, obviously, I know them. Uh, but the, uh, uh, my grandmother's uh, house 
Uh, it, it was a farm at, and uh, the little town, uh, the road that ran in front of her house was, you know, very rarely did a car go down it. And um, across the street was a cheese factory, and um, there were a row of trees in front of my grandmother's house. And so Fred and I decided that one of these trees looked pretty good for uh, me to climb up, and uh, he'd back Rusty up uh, to the back of this tree, and then I'd uh, shit on Rusty's head. <laughs> and uh, so, and indeed, I climbed up this tree, and, you know, there were some branches and leaves and stuff that I was fairly well hidden. And, uh, again, this was in my grandmother's front yard. And uh, so uh, Fred got rusty, and I don't know, I don't know how he figured out, you know, that uh, to get rusty against this tree, but he did. And, uh, and I, was, I was loaded. I mean, you know, I was, I was primed and ready to go, so I didn't have to wait around. And so once Rusty was there, well, then I dropped my drawers and, and dropped this uh, turd down, the, uh, down toward uh, Rusty. And that would have been the term we used at that time. It was something on that order, a grunter or a turd or I don't know what. So this, when this thing came out of me, it caught on the bark of the tree. And so you remember those, those, those little octopuses that people had? They were all gummy. And you'd throw them against a wall, and they'd just kind of flop down this... A wall. Well, that's how this came. This turd came down this this tree. It just flopped down, and it landed right alongside Rusty. And he looked up, you know, and and there I was. And of course, then at that point, uh, all of a sudden, it dawned on us that we had done something, Fred and I, that maybe wasn't the best idea in the world. And so, you know, I got my pants back on, came down the tree, and we started controlling. Uh, rusty and went down the block and uh, to a uh, uh, grocery store that was down there and we got a dad's root beer for Rusty and well us too and a Tootsie Roll which was the big deal and uh, and then we went out and did whatever we did for the rest of the day with him it was like nothing had happened <laughs> strange in any event so years later uh, my dad my dad told a lot of scatological jokes okay and uh, I'll, I'll interrupt this story by telling one of them because it, he always told them at the dinner table. And, and so I've got a whole series of things another time. But one of his ones was a guy gets on this bus and he sits down next to somebody. And this, he's, he's just, it smells just terrible. And he's, he's sniffing it away and he realized that this guy next to him he said, excuse me, sir, but did you have an accident? And the guy said, no. And he sat there for a while, and he finally just said, listen, you did too have an accident. And the guy says, oh, I thought you meant today. Um, so anyway, Dad would tell these jokes at the dinner table. And so I've got a whole series of them. But in any event, so I told this story about Rusty to my dad. And my dad, uh, he was just laughing like crazy. He was maybe in his early 80s when this happened. And uh, he was just laughing like crazy. And he said, when I was a boy, he said, a bunch of us boys got together, six of us, and we went in Tana Katie's garage. My aunt 
uh, call her Tana. But anyway, Aunt Tana Katie's garage. And we all got around in a circle in her garage, and we dropped our drawers, and we all crapped on the floor. And then we left. <laughs> well, when my Uncle Adam came home to put his car in the garage, there was this circle of crap. And, and uh, my dad was a bit of a problem when he was a kid. And so uh, he, my Uncle Adam told my grandfather, and my grandfather, who I adored as a kid and, and found out in later life that my grandfather was rather brutal, uh, took my dad by the ankles and dipped him in all of these piles. So that was the story my dad told me, which started out for me as being a really funny story. And then this, this, this destruction of humor took place. And at, but at the same time, it was, it was kind of interesting because I found out something about my grandfather, that my grandfather was brought up in a fashion, a German family. He was brought up as a, with a brutal father, and he became a brutal father, and my father did not. And there were a lot of things that my father did that presented problems for us kids and my mother, but he never, ever physically mistreated us. And that move that he made in his life was... I didn't realize until I was, well, until he was maybe in his 80s and he told me this story, and I found out some other stories from him as a result. And uh, uh, so I've always figured that growing up, the, the, the thing that a child should do is just try to make one step beyond what their parents did into the good. So I'll leave it at that. Thanks again, Tom. That's enough of the crap, as they say. Uh, I think our next story is Jacob. Uh, Jacob, have you ever told a story here before? One time, yeah. Jacob has told a story here one time, but let's make him feel welcome like it's his first time. Give it up for Jacob. Thank you very much. Um, I have to apologize. I am the first person here who is telling a story that is not at all themed. There's no family in this. In fact, the story begins with a complete absence of family. Um, I was in high school, and I don't know, maybe maybe a month out, my parents told me, oh yeah, uh, we're going to be out of town this weekend. Of course, I'm in high school, and I'm like, hmm, going to be out of town this weekend. So I started thinking about how I can get up to some shenanigans. I was really bad at getting up to shenanigans in high school. Uh, Mostly my idea of a good time was reading really shitty fantasy books and playing a lot of video games. But this time, I thought, I'm going to get high. <laughs> so I had some friends in high school who, in fact, would get high on occasion. Uh, they had initially started, and they called themselves the BPs, which stood for the bona fide potheads, which they thought, they thought was hilarious because it was so ironic because they smoked occasionally. Now, some of these guys then eventually became true bona fide potheads. Uh, my best friend was one of the original BP group, but he didn't smoke that much. So I was like, hey, Dylan, my parents are going to be out of town. We should get high 
And he's like, all right, all right cool. Uh, I, don't, I don't have any weed, but I could talk to the, the other BPs, and I'm sure we could come up with something. And I'm like, yeah, all right, sweet. Look, this is great. My parents are going to be out of town. So we make all the plans. We get everything ready. We're going to watch some Planet Earth. It's going to be great. I thought this was the greatest idea ever. So we got, we got the DVD player set up. We got some Planet Earth that I had stolen from the Internet. And... We're good to go. And the day before, my friend Dylan calls me and goes, dude, I've got a family thing. I can't come. I'm like, oh, shit. These other guys who are coming are, like, way more hardcore than I am. But my parents are out of town. i got to go for it. All right, all right, we're going to do this. So these guys come over, two, just two guys. Um, and we go up to my attic which is the place that I think, you know, if we smoke, nobody will smell it, right? It's not, not a big deal. We can go up to my attic and we can smoke. So we go up to my attic and these guys pull out a bowl and we smoke a bowl. All right, cool. I've gotten high one time before this and it was okay. It was the Super Bowl. I'd seen Prince playing his guitar and I was high and I had declared that I could eat forever. But... <laughs> But, you know, it was, it was pretty mild, all things considered. This was a giant bowl, and we smoked through this thing, and then these guys are like, dude, we should smoke more. And I'm like, I'm high. <laughs> and they're like, we're going to smoke an ice bong. I have no idea what this means at the point. I, I mean, just in general, I didn't know what that meant. And at that moment, my brain couldn't really comprehend. So they go downstairs. I'm sitting in my attic, just kind of sitting there. And they get a bong, and they put some ice and some water in it, and they bring it back up. And they're like, all right, let's smoke this thing. And so we proceed to smoke this thing, and we're passing it around. And at this point, I know something is wrong. I'm only taking, like, one hit in three as it's coming around, and I'm just like, oh, guys, this is, I don't know what's going on. And just keep going around, and eventually we're all smoked out. And they're like, all right, let's go watch Planet Earth, and I cannot stand up. <laughs> and we're in the attic, and my stairs are super steep to the attic, so they help me downstairs, and we go to watch Planet Earth, I have no recollection of watching Planet Earth. My entire body felt like it was on fire. <laughs> and so we watched Planet Earth, I guess. Again, no, there's nothing there, just blank space. And eventually, it probably didn't, probably took like five minutes, we were hungry. Amazing, I know. Uh, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. My parents put a bunch of food in the refrigerator. <laughs> we can go downstairs and have food. So I get up, and I'm like, guys, we, we should go downstairs and get food. So I, they're, they're still watching Planet Earth, and I just start going, because I, I need that food. I'm ready to go. So I get to my stairway, and I start heading down. These stairs aren't that steep. They're not that bad. And I start walking down, and every step is like this religious experience. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my God, I am descending right now. <laughs> Oh, here we go. And I get halfway down the stairs, and I stop, because it's night now. And I'm looking down at the, the first floor of my house, and it's dark. 
And my brain cannot comprehend dark at this moment. So I look at this darkness and I say, I am so alone. (laughs) And I stop. And I stare at the darkness. And I just look at it for a while. And then it overwhelms me. I cannot deal with how dark and how alone and how scared I am. So I turn around and I look up the stairs. And these two guys, I don't... I think they spilled something, but they're, like, going back and forth, trying to, like, clean something up. But in my brain, it's going super fast. They're just going back and forth and back and forth. And I can't really make heads or tails of that either. And so I interpret that as monsters. There are monsters up there. So I go, monsters, so alone. Monsters, so And I just go back and forth. I'm standing in the middle of my stairs, just stuck there for, I mean, probably about 30 seconds. But it felt like just fucking forever. And eventually, they finish cleaning up whatever it was. And they they come and they, they grab my arm and they say, dude, are you all right? And I go, I don't know. And they go, man, don't worry about it. There's mac and cheese down there. Uh, Kate, you're next. Everybody give it up for Kate. Hey, guys. I'm Kate. Um, So I wasn't sure how to start out this story, if I should start it with my grandmother was Moroccan or my grandmother was a Jew. So um, either way, it's going to be funny, I promise. Um, But what that meant is that she not only had the fiery Moroccan temper, as we called it, but she was also very finicky with everything and liked to pick at us um, and liked to make a lot of different um, comments at us. So uh, these are kind of just some stories of her. Um, When we were younger, she uh, used to call, well, she used to call and my mom would always pick up um, her first experience with an answering machine. She thought it was my mom's voice. Um, So we hear the message playing back. I was probably about seven at the time. My first time I heard swear words too. But she hears my mom's voice, and apparently she thinks she's talking to my mom the entire time. Um, And she hears the beep, and she thinks my mom's hung up. And so her response there, the only thing we hear on the answering machine is, talk to me, talk to me, oh, damn shit. Um, So that was kind of my first experience with swear words. Um, I also remember she came to visit one weekend, and um, my... uh, she had dentures at the time, and she left them on her nightstand, and our dogs got to them. Um, this did not only happen once. This happened several times. Um, and every time, we'd find the dog in the hallway just crunching away. Um, she also would like to hide things in her purse. Um, she would steal things from restaurants. So anytime there was leftover food, um, like a bread basket, she would take the entire basket and just dump it in her purse. Like, no matter what kind of bread it was. She liked the white bread, but it didn't really matter. Um, she also stole an entire pitcher at work once, um, or at a restaurant, uh, just a normal water pitcher. She, it was empty. She said, hmm, looks good, and put it in her purse. Um, the story, though, that I wanted to tell was I was probably about 12 or 13, um, and we were flying to Boston with her in the airport. Um, and my grandmother does not like flying. She does not like airports. Um, so we got, to the, we got to the airport, and we get to airport security, and um, we're, we're starting to go through the, the metal detectors. We put our bags on the thing. She starts to walk through, and all the beepers go off, and we're like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, 
And so they take her aside, and um, it turns out she has a mezuzah on, um, a necklace. It's a, it has a little Jewish scroll inside of it, um, and it's sharp and pointy. And they ask her to take it off, and she starts cursing at them um, in foreign languages, <laughs> several languages, including Arabic. And this was right after 9-11 also. So everything starts going crazy. They get a bunch of guys out. They take all our suitcases off. And I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. Um, so they take all our luggage off. And they're opening it and rifling through it. And they get to my grandmother's luggage. Um, and we open up the luggage. And just grapes spill out everywhere. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, no. So I'm running around picking up all these grapes. They were green grapes, I remember. And people are trying to get past us through airport security. Um, and then they go through her purse, and they open up her purse, and there's just a steak. Like, not like in a napkin, like a bleeding steak. And like, I don't think these people knew what to do with her. They were like, this woman is yelling in Arabic, she has a steak and grapes. Like, who brings these things on an airplane? Um, so we ended up packing it up. Um, I think we got her to take it off, maybe? I don't remember. Um, we had this issue every time she flew. Um, but yeah, that's, that's some of my fondest memories of my grandmother. Thanks. Thank you, Kate. Uh, Dave Babbler, I believe you are up. Hey, guys. How are we doing tonight? Good? Round of applause for doing good tonight. Black Friday, Thanksgiving, yeah. Someone, please. Yes! Nailed the applause. All right. So I'm actually going to tell, I'm not usually a fan of telling multiple stories, um, but I'm going to tell one brief story for the holiday season, just to, you know, get everyone in the mood, get everyone nice, warm, and cozy. It's Thanksgiving, because it actually happened this morning, which typically doesn't happen at Story Slam. It's, it happens the morning of. So this, this might be a first. Am I first? Is this, is this history? This is history. This is a day of Story Story Slam. It's day of. So... I don't know how many of you guys go out for Black Friday and go shopping. Um, I, I don't really care, but because um, typically I don't. We actually have a different tradition. Everyone goes, goes out and buys gifts, and uh, me and my family, it's a recent tradition. We will go to Denny's on Black Friday and then go on their free Wi-Fi and shop on Amazon. This is the modern Black Friday, you guys. If you want notes, I'm starting a blog. You can join me. You can follow me. It's going to be amazing. It's a revolution. This is the new Black Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Denny's Wi-Fi chilling with some coffee and a grand sandwich. It's the greatest. So we get there this morning. It's Black Friday. And uh, honestly, we don't know where this, 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 this tradition comes from. Um, we just started doing it. One year we went, we went shopping and we're like, screw this. And we drove by a Denny's. Four years later, we're still doing it. It's kind of cool. I, really, I think that's kind of fun. Um, and I, I finally nailed a reason for why we go to Denny's on Black Friday. Because this morning, my younger brother says, Dave, I love the tradition. I do. It's great. And I love you. I love doing this with you. But can we get some real food? <laughs> can we just go to Blue Plate and get some grass-fed beef and some gluten-free sandwiches? Come on! And, and I'm like, Mike, it's tradition. This is family. This is Thanksgiving. This is Black Friday. This is what we do. We're the babblers. And he's like... Dave, I respect you, and that's what we're, that's what we're going to do. He didn't actually use those words, but I like to tell the story that way. This is story slam. I can do what I want. And he's like, Dave, let's do it. So we get there, and he's like, I mean, he's looking at this menu, and I'm like, why does this sausage look like it's glowing? Is that grease? And, he, and I'm like, Michael, 
Just enjoy the food. And then it hits me. This is why we do Denny's. This is why we do Denny's the day after Thanksgiving, so we can be grateful for real food. And then he, we, we, we place our orders, you guys. We place our orders, and then out comes the food. And the most bizarre thing comes on top of this kid's sandwich. And of course it's his, the one that complains. Man, that's some bad juju. That's just because you earned that bad sandwich. It comes out, and there's one, there's one melted chocolate chip in the top of the Grand Slamage. I'm like, how, what kind of assembly line? What, like, how does one chocolate... And it was melted in! They took this black chocolate chip. They must have singularly placed it in the sandwich and says, man, that kid's complaining about some real food. We need to teach this kid a lesson. They put the black thing, this little chocolate chip inside the sandwich, and it's like, teach this kid a lesson. I swear that's what happened. I wasn't back there. I don't know, but I believe that's what happened because the Battle of Family tradition to go to Denny's is sacred. It's sacred, you guys. We have to do it. And they taught that kid a lesson. And then he flips it over, and it's not toasted on the other side. The bread is, like, dry. And I'm like, yeah, Mike, you got a point. Let's get out of here. <laughs> that is the story from this morning, you guys. And it was a short story, but I had to tell it because I felt like, man, it's the holiday season. So let's get a round of applause for the first story. All right, next story. <laughs> this one will be semi-brief as well. Um, so I didn't even come here planning to tell a story. I got here late. So this is the one that I kind of gathered from fam- for, for family gatherings. And uh, every summer, typically, I come from a large family. I got, four, I got five brothers and sisters, and I have my parents. My mom actually has eight or seven or eight brothers. It's a big family. And we all gather at my grandpa's for the summer, and we go to the pool, like once or twice in the summer. And there's this one summer. Actually, before I jump into that, I'm just going to quickly say that when you grow up with five brothers and sisters... Your parents give up after the fourth. That is a scientific fact. They will care, like a care less what happens after the fourth. She knows what, <laughs> do you, yeah, she knows what I'm talking about. They get past the fourth and they're like, oh, well, they'll figure it out. It's life. <laughs> but like, like, they, like they protect the first one. Like, oh, well, oh, now you guys come together and, and we're going to raise you and this is going to be a great family. And it gets to the third and it's like, oh, wow, we're getting bigger. I mean, a fourth one's great. All right, yeah, screw it. <laughs> and then you just have to raise yourself. And here's what happens, you guys. I'm telling you right now. The purest form of evil, the purest, like, there's a lot of crazy things that go on in this world, and we could have a huge discussion about what's good, what's bad. The purest form of evil happens between the relationship of an 8-year-old boy and his 10-year-old brother. I promise you, there's no greater evil, and I'm about to illustrate why. We went to the summer pool gathering with the large family, and when we get there, I'm in the pool, and there's, like, this, like, divider. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, between the shallow end... I don't even know. I don't. I don't have a pool, but anyway, <laughs> there, there's a there's a divider, and there's this like industrial sized like hook that hooks onto like this concrete thing. It's like this big, and it weighs probably like ten pounds. And I can't swim in the deep end. I know I'm like eight years old, and I don't know what the standards are for kids. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm a slow learner. I don't know. You guys can judge if you want. I couldn't swim, and um, my older brother and. Like, the rest of my cousins are like, oh, let's play shark. And I'm not going to explain shark to you guys because it's a stupid-ass game. But we played shark. and Or they played shark. And I'm like, oh, guys, can I play? I'm like, Dave, you can't swim in the deep end. What do, what do you want us to do? You want us to play shark on a shallow end? That doesn't make any sense. The game doesn't make any sense, guys. Just let me play. Come on. And they would not let me play shark. So I, I just I sat there, and I watched them. I played with some noodles. I started, like, spitting water around. You know, traditional shallow enders. <laughs> Come on, who's with me, shallow enders? And I'm just like doing all the stupid things kids do in shallow end water, which is nothing. They don't play shark. And so I'm watching them play shark. 
And I start getting this, this rage built up inside of me because my older brother, I'm like, I know what he's saying to them. I know he's saying I'm a stupid little kid. And I know he's, and I just, I know the reason I'm not playing isn't because I'm, we can't play shark in the shallow. And it's because I'm in the shallow and he knows this. So here's what I do, guys. I solve this like any logical evil seven-year-old boy would do to his 10-year-old older brother. And I grab the hook from the edge of the pool. And I'm like, I'm going to settle this. With God as my witness, I will settle the shallow end shark dilemma. And so I grab it. I unhook it. Barely. I'm just like, I'm like struggling. I start breaking a sweat just trying to get this thing off. And I grab it. And like David and Goliath, I start swinging. I see him coming near. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to hit this kid. And I start swinging. And I start swinging. And then there was a release. And then time froze. And then time froze, ladies and gentlemen. And it slowly creeped towards this kid's forehead. Nails him right in the side of the head. His head goes back. Blood literally everywhere. The water turned red. A religious sign, I promise you. And the kids, he cries a scream of agony. I would do it right now, but I hate to wake the neighbors. And he is just in pain. Now, let me tell you, typically, the reason I say it's the purest form of evil is because I felt no remorse. I smiled and I laughed at that kid. I said, (laughs) what? (laughs) And he's sitting here in pain. Shortly after, of course, my parents being the great parents they are, even though I say they give up on the the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh kid, They took me out, and I sat out of that pool, and I watched them play all day. And you know what? I was never happier. I promise you. And I never regretted a moment of it. And so that's why I say there's the purest form of evil, ladies and gentlemen, right there. And for anyone here anticipating having kids, thinking about having kids, consider stopping at four. Have a great night, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all have a great holiday season. Thank you, Dave. Okay, uh, we have one more story unless somebody raises their hand right now and they say they've got a story they want to tell. No. Okay, our last story of the evening is a guy I've known for a long time, since high school or middle school or maybe even elementary. I'm really not sure. He's been around in my life for a long time. Everybody give it up for Dan McHugh. Thanks. So I want to preface this story partially because it's way too short to fill up the entire time, but also because I feel like it's important background. My father has cared about three things that I really remember in his life. Um, And those three things would be lemon ice, (laughs) fanny packs, and... 1995 Nike New Balances. So, <laughs> the reason that, um, that I say specifically 1995, so like as far as my memory stretches back, my dad has had 1995 Nike New Balances. And this is not the same pair of Nike New Balances. There was a almost mythical closet when I was a child that we would go to in my parents' room and just open it. There was no room for anything except for Nike New Balances, because my dad had bought every pair of Nike New Balances in Madison. There was an entire closet devoted strictly to Nike Nike New Balance storage in my house. There were probably, if I had to estimate, I would say 20 pairs of Nike New Balances. So, (laughs) that being said, oh yeah, the lemon ices I suppose I should fill you in on too, just because it was another one of his 
interesting hoarding techniques. Basically, he would go through phases of food that he liked to eat. And those phases would last for a maximum of two months. So there was another probably, you know, six to eight month period in my household where an entire basement freezer was composed of nothing but lemon ices. (laughs) And this was before he got his own lemon ice maker. Then he could make it himself, cut out the middleman, save the money. He's He's an accountant, so he's a very financially minded individual. But the problem was that he would always end these food cravings before he had depleted all of his storage. So we were stuck with lemon ices in our basement freezer for probably eight months after he'd far given up it for cash use. And we as children were, of course, the disposal units. So all that to say, I did not have a very masculine childhood. <laughs> my, my uncle and my grandfather tried desperately to initiate all, me and both of my brothers, in the ways of hunting and fishing and other, you know, I I know I'm wearing the flannel, but it's a complete deception. I'm on definitely the hipster side of the flannel spectrum compared to the brawny man side of the flannel spectrum. (laughs) And they would try their best. They'd take us out in nature, and me and my brothers would both be like, I don't know what to do here. There's plants on the ground. There's no, there's no Calvin and Hobbes for me to read. There's no Final Fantasy VII for me to play. What's going on here? And I, I, did, I did enjoy camping some, but the fishing and hunting were two things that I desperately wanted to enjoy and desperately could not enjoy at all. We would go on my, on the best and only and worst fishing trip of my entire life. My uncle got me up at 5 in the morning. And already, I was pretty done with this activity. (laughs) Like, why would anyone do this at this time of day? People should be sleeping. It's dark out. Everyone else is sleeping. We're not. And also, like, I don't want to say that you need alcohol in order for hunting and fishing to be fun. But you need alcohol in order for hunting and fishing to be fun. And my family was not about that. Which was fine for them, and I guess fine for me too, because I was a child at that point and probably would have damaged me anyway. But I, I just had no idea what to do. So we were, we, me and my uncle, who I have nothing in common with, as you probably have realized by now already, we would just sit in this canoe in the pouring rain at five in the morning, borderline freezing temperatures, and caught not even one fish. I don't think I had a bite the entire time, but how, how would I know? I just had a pole in the water. I was a kid, and I was miserable. And my mom asked me when we got back to the cabin, how was fishing? And I just gave her the worst glare in the world, and I never went fishing with them again. For hunting, that was a completely different story, and far more disturbing, I think. We sat in the bushes. I think we were going turkey hunting. I don't totally remember. And the worst part of this was I couldn't even carry a gun because I hadn't passed hunter's safety. Later after this, I would fail hunter's safety out of lack of enthusiasm. But for this portion, I was watching to see 
if I wanted to become a hunter. So basically, again, we saw absolutely nothing. I think we saw one turkey, but we didn't shoot at it, I think because it was too far away, which, doesn't see, which didn't seem like a good excuse to me at all as a child. I was like, well, there's a turkey there. We know it's there. We should probably shoot it. But then again, that's probably how people get killed, and that's why I shouldn't have a gun and be hunting. But I passed the time in a much more disturbing fashion. I have no idea why I did this, but when I was a child, I f- when we were sitting in the bushes, there was this like patch of like white maggots, and I was just staring at them the entire time rather than looking for deer. I'm like, well, if there's like you know deer or pheasants, whatever we were hunting for, I have no idea. My grandpa would see it. So eventually I would just like pick up these maggots and like squeeze them until they popped out of their skin. <laughs> it's, uh, I can't tell you the amount of disgust I have for myself as a child in this period, but we did this for like six hours. And I was crushing maggots for six hours. And by the end of it, I just had my maggot pile. My grandpa had nothing except a disappointment for a grandson. And we both went back to my cabin. And needless to say, I did not become a brawny man type of flame. And that is it for our podcast tonight. Uh, Tune in next time. I'm sure we will have a couple more interviews to go. Our next Story Slam is January 2nd at Johnson Public House. Our theme is Scars. Uh, Normally we would be doing it uh, the last Friday in December, but that would be the day after Christmas, so we've decided to do it January 2nd. That is a Friday. And again, I say the uh, theme is Scars, and that will be at Johnson Public House. Uh, I look forward to uh, having another guest on, and you should look forward to that as well. Uh, Be on the lookout for that. And again, thank you, Johnson Public House. We love you.